Thanks for joining us today at Springwell Church, where we want to draw spiritually thirsty people to Jesus by loving God, loving each other, and loving the world. We hope that today's message builds you up, gives you a little insight, and helps you find a brand new perspective. You can find us in Taylor, South Carolina, and online at springwell.org. That's springwell.org. Now let's jump into the message. So if you're a follower of Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus, anytime God gives you a burden, anytime God gives you a burden, and when He gives you a burden, remember, remember it's not about you. The burden that He gives you is always going to be for somebody else, another person, another people group. In other words, God wants you to join Him. He wants you to partner with Him, and He's going to provide everything that you need. He's going to give you a burden. It's going to start with a burden. And when that happens... You should expect opposition. You know, I've, I've gone, I literally probably wrote this message, I don't know, maybe even months ago, certainly weeks ago, if not months ago. And every single time I've, I've looked at this introduction, I thought, like, I don't say anything in the beginning, you know? Like, I just jump right, I dive head first right into the message. And, and the reason that I'm doing that, because I think it's critically important that you understand that there's going to be opposition if you're a follower of Jesus and God gives you a burden because nobody ever taught me that. Now, to be fair, like I did, you know, miss a chunk of church, you know, there was a year, I didn't, I didn't like church, I didn't like church people. I'm still not crazy about churchy people, just to be honest with you. That's why we don't do churchy people here, right? Hello? I feel like I just offended somebody. Well, hang on. If I hadn't, I'll probably get to you in a minute. <laughs> That's not my point. It's not what I'm trying to do. It. It's not. Nobody ever taught me that. See, here's what, here's what somehow I grew up thinking. And maybe, maybe it was those early days of ministry, and believe it or not, I would attend these denominational-type meetings. And I know it's hard to believe, I didn't fit in. <laughs> You're shocked, aren't you? You go... Yeah, I just didn't fit in. I didn't fit in with those other guys. And the thing that somehow I ended up thinking was that if you were in the will of God, the evidence that you were in the will of God would be the blessings of God. It would be the blessings of God and you wouldn't have to worry about opposition. I believe that somehow we always, that we always win. And you're thinking right now, read the end of the book, brother, we win. Well, the, 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 yeah, the war, but there's some battles in between, and sometimes we lose. Nobody ever told me that. I, I, nobody taught me that. And so every pastor I ever talked to, you know, how's your church? Great. God's blessing. Baptisms are up. People are we're growing. Money. We got more money than we can spend. How are things with you? Well, I could. You don't want to know what I said. Because I was way too honest in those situations, and maybe that's why I didn't fit in with those guys. So for me as a pastor, the blessing of God always meant growth. And when I say growth, don't misunderstand that. I, I don't mean growth for the sake of growth. I don't mean just warm rear ends and seats every week. I don't, I don't mean that. I'm talking about 
that growth is from, is, is from loving people and doing effective ministry in the community and loving people and serving people and that, and that people would show up and that people would just want to hear about the love of Jesus. And I was crazy. I thought that, that people would come and if you had the blessing of God, the church would grow and you'd have more money than you could spend. And so when I stood face to face with opposition, I thought it must be my fault. It had to be my fault. Because all those other guys are doing awesome. It must be my fault. It must be that sin that caused me to experience what appeared to me to be the curse of God rather than the blessings of God. And so honestly, honestly, as, as honest as I don't know how to be with you, I thought, well, where's the hope? Where's the, where's the hope for somebody like me? Where's the hope for... You know, this little Greer redneck. I mean, where, where's, where's the hope for me? Because I always counted on the fact that, that God loved me unconditionally and that God could even use somebody as weird and as unconventional as me. And I thought, if he can't, then where's the hope? But this is why I, I really do love the Bible as much as I do. I love it because when you start looking at the stories in the Bible, every single person, every single person, every hero of the faith, every non-hero of the faith, the big guys and the little guys and, and, the, and, the, and the ladies with great faith and the ladies with no faith, here's what you'll always find, is that every single person in the Bible faced opposition. All of them did. They faced opposition. Everyone had an enemy. Adam and Eve had. Are y'all out there? This must be like the total unchurched group here. So I'm just saying, yeah, they had the serpent, right? The serpent. Okay. You're going to do better, right? <laughs> We're going to pick it up as we go. Moses had Pharaoh, yeah. <laughs> David had. Ah! Give yourselves a hand. <laughs> Job had. This is awesome. Hey, how about when you get to the New Testament? Paul had everybody. <laughs> Actually, you know what? It wasn't everybody. You know, you know who Paul, you know who Paul's greatest enemy was? It would have been it would have been religion. It would have been the church. Those were the ones that were after that were after Paul. If you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus always had, constantly had opposition. And, and Jesus was, was about healing people. Jesus was about working miracles. And in, in spite of all of the good, all of the love that, that he projected, of all the healings of Jesus, Jesus had opposition. And who did he have opposition from? Well, that would have been all the religion, right? He upset their apple cart. He, he took them off center a little bit. They had rules and regulations. They just didn't know why they had rules and regulations. So we pushed them. So we had an enemy. Nehemiah, that person that we've been looking at for the last two weeks, Sambalat and Tobiah and others, he had an enemy. He had opposition. And if you're just joining us and you feel like a little lost, when, let me give you a little bit of the backstory of Nehemiah. So Nehemiah was just an ordinary Jewish man. He was an ordinary Jewish man that was a cupbearer to the king of Persia. And when I say that he was an ordinary man, I think it's important that you really do get that. So he wasn't a priest. He wasn't a prophet. 
Uh, he wasn't even a contractor. I mean, he wasn't even approved on Angie's list. I mean, this guy, he had really nothing going for him. He did test the wine of the king and uh, to see, make sure that the wine wasn't, wasn't poisoned. There were some other duties. He, he was an important man, but if you're really, you're just testing the wine, you've got to be expendable, right? So, well, he died. No big deal. We'll just get another wine taster. You understand me? He was just an ordinary guy who heard about the plight of his people who were in a horrible situation. They had been in slavery to the Babylonians, and their city had been totally destroyed. And things got better. Things got better. And the Persians overcome, destroyed, annihilated the Babylonians. And, and these Persians seemed to have a heart, it, at least for the Jewish people. When they looked around, the Persian king said, what are all you guys doing here? And literally... By the hundreds of thousands, he said, you can just, you can just go back home. Just, just go back to your homeland. And they did. But things just didn't go well. They didn't have any leadership. They didn't know which way to turn. And so, and so Nehemiah hears about the plight of his people. And so we fast and he prays for months. And one day the king asked why he looked so sad. And he said, well, my people are in a mess. It's kind of in the Hebrew Greer translation. My people are in a mess, and Jerusalem is in a mess. The walls are, are laying in destruction. The temple's been destroyed, and, and there are no gates. I mean, when I look at my people, they're free, but they don't really know freedom. And King says, well, what do you want? And Nehemiah says, well, I'm going to go rebuild the city. And the thing says, okay. That's kind of like the cliff note version, really, really cliff note version. And so Nehemiah goes to Jerusalem, and he starts to rebuild the walls and the gates of the city. And so there's like ten different gates that had to, be, had to be rebuilt. And so he would give different groups of people you know, gates to, to rebuild. And, and so there was the sheep gate, and there was the horse gate, and, and there was the valley gate, and there was the fish gate, there was the water gate. <laughs> I'm not making this up. It's in the Bible. It really is, this water gate. And it, some of Nixon's, I understand, it was Nixon's ancestors that... <laughs> that's really bad, isn't it? Okay, so back on track. And, and believe it or not, there was a gate that was called the Dung Gate. I'm not making this up. You should read your Bibles. You're going, there's no way. Yeah, there, there is a way, and it, it's in the Bible. So could you imagine, like, if you'd been one of those groups of people, and Nehemiah had looked at you and says, hey, I would like for you to rebuild the Dung Gate. I would have said, you know, I'll take the Fish Gate. It's got to be stinky, but it's got to be better than the Dung Gate. But that's just me. So what do we know? We know that whenever the work goes down, opposition shows up. That's what we know. I didn't know that for a long time. I mean, I missed a lot of church those early years, and so I, I get into church, and I just thought you always win. That's what I thought. I thought, you know, you just stay faithful to the best of your ability. You pray, and you study, and you do what, you do what you're supposed to do, and, and God will just bless, and things will, good things will just happen. I didn't realize that when the work goes down, that opposition shows up. The, mo the moment that you start feeling, fulfilling your purpose, set your calendar. That spiritual opposition is going to show up. It's going to happen. I promise it's going to happen. Nehemiah chapter 4 says it like this. When Simon Bilot heard that they were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria. He said... What, what in the world do these feeble Jews think that they're doing? That word feeble, it's an interesting Hebrew word. 
It literally means this. It means like a dead flower. And so he had reason to say that. He says, so for like 70 plus years, you guys have been completely dead. The Babylonians came in. You got a little too big for your britches. Like at one point you were a superpower. You really were. And the hand of your God and everybody was in all of you. But then the Babylonians came in and completely annihilated you and they took you out. And now you think, you literally think that you're going to be able to do what? You're not, you're not even masons for Pete's sake. You don't know anything about construction. You're crazy. Then he says, he says, will they restore their wall? This next phrase, it's, I think it's bigger than you think. He says, are they going to offer sacrifices? And I did a lot of studying to try to dig and, and figure out what this meant. And it seems like to me that what he's saying is this. You know what? There was, a, there was a time when you were alive, and now you're dead, and you're dead, and you know what? Your God is dead. Like, your God has been asleep for a very long time, and he's not been active. So really, I mean, so what are you going to do now? Like, you're going to go back and worship this God as, who's done nothing for you. Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? And so his point is absolutely not. Not these feeble, dead Jews. And not their feeble God. No. Then Tobiah the Ammonite joins the berating party and he says, Tobiah the Ammonite who was at his side said, what they're building, even a fox, I mean, can you understand? You guys have no idea. You don't know what you're doing. You know so little about how to build a wall. You know so little about how to build a gate. that You know what? A little fox could climb up on your wall, and that wall would collapse. Because you're just a dead people with a dead God. And unfortunately, what was true for Nehemiah is also true for us. Nobody taught me that. Now, I missed a chunk of years going to church. Maybe, maybe they taught it, and I didn't go that day, or that month, or that year. Maybe in the last few weeks, it's because of a burden. Maybe a few weeks ago when we started with Nehemiah 1, you know what, and maybe, maybe you said, wow, you know what, that sounds like me. There was a time, and maybe you didn't know what to call it, you didn't know what God was doing, God began to stir in your heart, and and, you see, and then you say, you know what, it's a burden. God has given me a burden, and he's not just given me a burden, he's given me a burden for a purpose. And then all of a sudden you started to face opposition, and you didn't see it coming. Maybe you're trying to get out of debt. Maybe, maybe that's, that was your burden. Maybe you've been thinking that for quite some time, and you thought, you know what, we just, I'm, I'm sick of this mess. I'm absolutely sick of this mess. I mean, we really are enslaved to the lender. And I'm tired of being enslaved to the lender. It's time to, it's time to be debt-free. And you know what? You set some goals, and you were super excited, and then, and then the car breaks down. And how many, am I the only one, like, when you take your car to the mechanic now, do you think, are you a surgeon? Because <clears throat> I think I could have a heart transplant cheaper than it's going to cost you to fix my transmission. I mean, am I the only one? I remember when you could go to the, you know, mechanic and it would be $25. I 
I know, I know, I know. And gas was 10 cents a gallon. I, I don't go quite that far back, but anyway, y'all with me? Or maybe the HVAC unit goes out and things were going really super good for you and then suddenly you had an expenditure that just wiped you out and you know what you gave up? You said, what's the use? Maybe you got angry at God. Maybe you got angry at Him. You said, God, you know, I'm trying to honor you and I'm, I'm trying to get out of debt. We face that as a church. I can't tell you how many times. Units go out. Things happen that rob you of your finances. People discourage you. Could be that God gave you a burden for kids and you started serving in the children's ministry. And your very first day serving in the children's ministry, and a little two year old, sweet, precious, little two year old, gets sick and throws up Fruit Loops all over you. And it don't smell like Fruit Loops coming out like it did going in. Y'all with me? And, and so maybe you're thinking, you know, this is not like, this is not what I had in mind. You know, this is not like what I had in mind. This is not what I thought investing in kids was going to look like. I just want you to know that when the work goes down, the opposition will show up. And I underline this in my notes. Because advancement invites opposition. Advancement always invites opposition. It, it took me a while to figure that out. It took me a while to figure that out because, quite honestly, you know, you're not doing anything for the Lord, then the devil doesn't bother you because you're not a threat. You're really not a threat. And if you're not doing anything, then he's going to just kind of, he'll leave you alone. But the moment that you start to step up and partner with God, and I can't say partner with God enough, because it's, it's all about God. It's all about God's burden that he gives to you. And it's always on behalf of somebody else that he wants to work in their life. It's not about you. But when you step up to partner with God on someone else's behalf, I'm going to tell you, flags go up all over hell. And demons are released to stop whatever it is that you're doing in the name of Jesus. Expect spiritual opposition when you act on a burden. So, if you want a pretty easy, and I wrote this and I still smile. So, I wrote, if you want a pretty easy yet non-fulfilling life, and I wasn't sure if it should be non-fulfilling or unfulfilling. <laughs> Help. I'm just kidding. They've left me to myself. I'm all up here alone right now. Jesus is with me. So if you want a non-fulfilling life, then guess what? You, you can come to church if you want to. That's okay. You can come to church if you want to. Hey, just don't get engaged. Don't do that. Don't get engaged. So, like, you can come on Sunday morning. I remember, you know, occasionally I would go on Sunday morning to pacify my mom when I was a teenager. And so occasionally I would go. And I always felt like when I left that I should get a, some kind of medal or something. Any, any of you feel that way? Don't you raise your hand. But, you know, I always felt like, man, I suffered through the service. I deserve something. Maybe I should get one of them little baskets or 
plates or something, you know. And I feel like maybe I'd won some kind of brownie points with God. But I didn't engage. I just showed up on occasion. It wasn't often, but occasionally I would go and I would think that God owed me something. But the moment that you step out of your comfort zone, And the moment you begin to seek God, I mean really seek God, and you try to represent His love and do something significant, let me tell you something, you're going to face opposition. So Nehemiah steps up and Sanballat and Tobiah come out swinging. Look at his response. It's awesome. Look at his response. He says, hear us. Hear us, O God. Hear us, our God. So, if there's anything that Nehemiah's learned to do when he faces opposition is, is to pray. And I don't think that we give prayer near enough credit. I, there, there's power in prayer. It's not the least that you can do is pray. The most that you can do is pray. And in chapter 1, remember, as soon as he heard about the destruction of Jerusalem, as soon as he heard about the plight of his people and things weren't going well and, and the nation had been shut down and they didn't know how to start back up, he began to weep and to fast and to mourn and then God gave him a burden. And then in chapter 2, he's been weeping and fasting and mourning for about four months and suddenly he's before the king and the king says, why are you sad? And he goes, whoa, like i got to pray really quick. And the prayer's not listed, the prayer that he prayed. But he prays again and he says, okay God, here we are. So my burden and my opportunity are meeting, and you got to give me what I need. And so when he's in this situation and he's facing opposition, the thing that he knows to do is pray. And honestly, that's why I get up at 4.30 in the morning. Because I've learned that it's, sometimes it's, it's battle. I just tell you quick, quickly the story I, a few weeks ago, I struggled for about two weeks. I mean, I just did. I couldn't even put my finger on it. If you said, what's wrong? I don't know. I, are you depressed? I don't know. Maybe. I'm not sure. I, 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 maybe I just, I was being a man. I just didn't want to admit. Yeah, I'm struggling. I'm depressed. I just know that I got up one morning, and it was just me and Jesus. And I said, Lord, you just got to do something. I don't know how to get myself out of this mess. And, and then it's not getting better. And I don't even know why I feel the way I do. So I went to a particular app, and I, I looked at this thing, and I just got to be honest with you. I didn't, it was a little video thing. I didn't even want to listen to it. And I saw who it was. <laughs> That's why I'm not going to tell you. I looked at it, and I said, and I certainly don't like her. <clears throat> and so I said, well, this must be the devil, because it couldn't be God that would be leading me to this. I mean, there's nothing. I mean, I don't like her. And then I, then I hit play. I said, okay, God, big boy, it's you. But we'll cut this off really quick. I hit play, and she, like, said ten words, and I went, see, I told you, it's junk. And you know what he said? Shut up. Quit your whining and listen. And I did. And when I got to the end of it, something I don't know how y'all feel about this kind of thing, but something supernatural happened. There was a, a burden. There, there, there was, something was just lifted off of me. I don't know what to tell you. And I thought, honestly, I thought, well, I must have misheard that. <laughs> I thought, I must have went off in my own little world. I, I hit play again, and I listened to it a second time, and it was better the second time than it was the first. And a few minutes later, I don't know, five minutes later, I felt myself going back down in that hole again. So I hit play again, and it pulled me back out. 
So then I finished my prayer time and did some study, and then I went to the gym, and I was at the gym. I walked into the gym, and it must have been the elliptical machine. I got depressed again. <laughs> I'm just saying, Tracy, it's your fault. I don't know. <laughs> She's one of the trainers that goes. Anyways, anyways, I, you know what I did? I said, well, forget you, devil. And so I pulled, up, I pulled up that app, and I hit play again, and I listened to it. And then I listened to it again. I listened to it again. I probably listened to it a half a dozen times or more that day. I'm telling you, there's power in prayer. Are you with me? Okay. That's not even in my notes. He says, hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their heads and give them over as plunder in the land of captivity. I like that, don't you? Come on. You got any fighters in the house? Anybody? little vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. That's what I'm talking about. He said, don't cover up their guilt or blot out those sins from your sight. Don't do it. Squash them like a grape. For they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. Bottom line, here's what I want you to see here. He didn't respond to them. He didn't respond to them. He just goes to God in prayer. He didn't respond to them. You know what, he recognized, he said, you know what, you're just a face, but the enemy is, is, is far beyond Sanballat and Tobiah. And listen, here's what I know. Satan sent you here, and rather than to look in your eyes and do battle with you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to God in prayer. That's what I'm going to do. And that's exactly what he did. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked. They worked with all their heart. So what did he do in the face of opposition? This is really super important. It's deadly spiritual. So he prayed, and then what did he do? He went back to work. Hello. For some reason, I don't see like the awesome. He sought the heart of God. He talked to God about the situation. Then he went back to work. Let me tell you one of the, there's a lot of reasons I love the book of Nehemiah. There's a lot of things I love about Nehemiah, but one of the things I really, really love about Nehemiah was that he was both spiritual and practical. So he did the spiritual thing and he prayed. And then after he prayed, he said, we got to go back to work. we got a wall we got to build. So he went back to work. There wasn't a lazy bone in his body. He had a burden, he had a calling, he had a purpose, and he said, we are going to rebuild the wall and the dung gate. So he prayed as if, as if Everything depended on God, and he worked as though everything depended on him. There are some people that you need to be a little less practical. You got the logical thing down. You got the planning and the scheming and the organizing. You got that down. What you need is to pray more. And maybe it's to set a time early in the morning. I'm the only crazy person up. You know, at 4.30 in the morning. You probably don't want to do that, but maybe, maybe, maybe it's in the afternoon. Maybe it's at lunch. I don't, it doesn't matter when, but maybe you, what you need to do is you need to set a, a time to pray and to hang out with God. And some of you, you, you need to be less spiritual, and you just need to get your hiding back in gear and go to work. I said that the most spiritual way I knew how. Then he says this, Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, The strength of the laborers is given out. Whew. Man, this work is hard. And there's so much rubble that we can't rebuild the wall. So last week we saw the momentum of a burden, and now we're looking at the, in the very face of discouragement. And discouragement, listen, please hear me, because I, I wouldn't raise to think this either. If, if you were a pastor and you talked about being discouraged, you were not spiritual. 
then you, you weren't a man of faith. And how can you lead a congregation? How can you lead a group of people if you're not a man of faith? And, and what I've learned is that, yes, you can be discouraged. If you read the Bible, poor old Jeremiah needed to be on Prozac or something. He was a basket case most of the time. I probably shouldn't have said that. Anyway. We'll see a little bit of progress, and then we'll see a little bit of opposition. That's a lie. We see a little bit of progress, and we see a lot of opposition, don't we? Then he says this. He saw also our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we're right there among them, and we'll kill them, and we'll put an end to the work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn. Listen, we're surrounded. Look, look at that verse. Look at that verse. He said, look, we're surrounded. And no matter if we turn to the right, they're there. If we turn to the left, they're there. If we look in front of us, they're there. If we look behind us, they're there. They're here to take us out. And they're stronger than we are. They said we were feeble. Now as people are starting to doubt, and they're doubting their own ability to get the job done. I don't know about you, but the greatest opposition I face is inside my own head. Always has been. I'm not a quitter. I, I haven't quit many things in my life. My, my dad believed that you, once a task is begun, never leave it till it's done. Be thy labor great or small. Do it well or not at all. My, my dad believed that you went to, to a job. You did a great job. You worked. You, you worked until you were finished. You with me? I've never quitted anything, but I've wanted to. And I struggle with the insecurities inside of my own head. I've had, I've had voices that say, who are you kidding? You can't possibly think that God's going to use you and bless you. Look at you. Kept there on Sunday morning. You still got your own struggles. Who do you think you are? You just made all this stuff up in your head. God didn't speak to you. This burden didn't come from God. Somehow you just made all this stuff all up in your own head, all by yourself. This wasn't a word from God. I can't tell you the number of times I've, I've been told in my own head that I'm, I'm a loser as a leader. Who are you? You can't lead people. Why are you trying to be? You don't have those skills. You don't have that ability. You don't, you're not a motivator. You're, 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 you don't have enough charisma. You don't, you're not smart enough. You don't, you don't plan well enough. You're not organized enough. I can't tell you the number of times in my head I've heard the message, you're not good enough. You're dead. That's why 430 is so important to me. That's why I try to protect it with everything in me. And it's not hard to protect 430. <laughs> it ain't like people are crowding, hey, can we get together at 430? That's why I protect that time. That's why I go to bed early. I want to make sure that I get up early. I want to keep my eyes focused on Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of my faith. That's why I have to make sure that I don't turn to the right or the left, and that's a reference to Joshua 1 that meant so much to me in a time when I could easily have been taken off course because I looked to the right or I looked to the left and I got distracted. Nehemiah says this, He said, after I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, 
This is awesome. He says, don't, don't be afraid. Now, remember, look at this next. He says, remember, remember the Lord. That's bigger than you think. He, sa- he says, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. I can tend to forget how great and awesome God is in the midst of my junk. I tend to forget all that God has done for us in the past as a church when we have these financial struggles that we've gone through. And I forgot that when we first started, we needed $10,000 to buy a board and some speakers, a couple of speakers, and God was a $10,000 God. Then I remember when we needed $100,000, and God provided that. And then I remember we wanted to be on this property, and we didn't have enough money, and we prayed, and we begged, and we pleaded. And somebody on a commitment card, it looked like a child's writing. No, I'm not kidding committed $300,000. And the guy that was helping us through the, the campaign said, you can't accept that. That's a child that wrote that. Well, Sunday afternoon, after we announced to the church on Sunday morning how much you know that our people had pledged, we got a call and said, well, your people stink. I mean, I gave three hundred of the 400000 <laughs> Oh, you, so that was real, yeah. I could tell you about an $800,000 gift. Maybe I'll tell you that in a few weeks. And then I could tell you about how a few years ago I was sitting with a man, and I've never done this ever, not in the history of me being in the ministry. I looked at a man, and I said, we need to be out of debt, and here's what I think you can do. And, and, and he's that $400,000 donor. And then we had somebody that wrote us a $90,000 check. Are y'all with me? Are you tracking? I'd say, here's the thing. I, I will forget. I'll forget how good God has been. And I need to remember that the battle is not mine. It belongs to the Lord. And our God is with us and He's for us and He'll never leave us. And then He says, remember the Lord. And He says, fight for your families. Fight for your families. Are y'all with me? We, we sang that song just a few minutes ago. Fight for your families. Have you seen the condition of our world? Fight for your families, your sons and your daughters and your wives and your, home, and your homes. Remember the Lord and continue to fight for the unborn who can't fight for themselves. Mm. Yeah, maybe that's just been brought to my mind since this whole Roe versus Wade thing is back up. We don't have to be mean-spirited Christians to do it. Keep on fighting for the broken that need healing and grace and hope. That's what we're here for. That, that's, that's the call of this church. It's to love the broken. And when they walk through the doors, those that feel like they have no dignity is for us to treat them in a way to say, welcome home. We're glad you are here with all of your junk, with all of your baggage. We're glad that you're here. Whenever you do something that matters, I promise you this, there'll be a battle. You're always going to face opposition. I'm guessing that many of you are facing opposition in some form or another right now. There's internal doubts and there's external opposition and there's struggles in your marriage and there's financial setbacks and your kids are doing things that scare you to death and you don't know how to change their direction and you've been praying and begging and pleading with God and you don't really have any answers and all you know to do is just to love them to the best of your ability and and to pray for them. There's insecurities and there's pressures and there's challenges and there's stress and there's fatigue and there's doubts and there's, there's opposition. And I believe that God 
brought you here this morning so that you could take your eyes off of the opposition and to recognize that this is an opportunity for our God to be strong where you're weak. Yeah, I know. You don't know what to do. Hang on. It's all you got to be strong And it's for just a fight to keep it together, together I know you think that you're too far gone But hope is never lost Hope is never lost
There's going to be opposition. But I guess I've learned anything through the opposition and through the battles that we've been through, and, and we probably have a lot of battle scars. It is so sweet at my age to be able to look at those of you that are younger to say, but we do win. Sometimes we lose a few battles along the way, but we, we win more. And I've learned that even, even when I don't win, even when things don't look the best, I've learned that I can still trust God through all of that. And that somehow in the end, I'm okay. Maybe you're here this morning, you're not a follower of Jesus, and you thought, wow, today's message really wasn't for me. It was more about those that are followers of Jesus that are in the heat of the battle. And I would say to you, that's, that's not true. Because you understand opposition as well. So if you're here this morning, if you're here this morning, it's because there's the Holy Spirit's been drawing you and pulling you. You need, you need to know that you're not looking for God. God's looking for you. He's been on an all-out search looking for you. And all kind of things have probably popped into your head. I, maybe, hey, you can't trust a pastor. You know what's bad? I'm just like you. I don't trust him either. <laughs> and I am one. Maybe you've got a Christian neighbor that drives you nuts. Maybe you got that guy at work. Honestly, there's maybe a thousand different reasons inside of your head right now that says, you know what? Just forget it. Walk away. That's opposition. Here's what I want you to know. I want you to know that God's crazy about you. And He proved it. There's one thing that you cannot deny, that the cross of Jesus definitely screams love. That what God did when He sent His very own Son to this earth for one purpose, and that's to be a sacrifice for the sins of the world. And what Jesus did as God's Son was He willingly went to the cross and he willingly allowed them to drive nails through his body into a cross and hang between heaven and earth and shed his blood and give his life for you just because he loves you. And what he wants is a relationship with you. And all of the demons of hell don't want that to happen. They don't want you to enter into that relationship. But maybe right now, you're willing. You said that the time is, is now. And you're willing to give your life to Jesus. If that's the case, every head is bowed and every eye is closed. No one's looking around. If you're ready to give your life, surrender, fully surrender your life to Jesus. Then maybe you pray a prayer or something like this. Maybe you say, Lord, I, I do understand the battle is real. There's so many voices inside my head. So many reasons for me, really, honestly, just to walk away from you. But somehow, I, I continue to be drawn to you. And here I am, on a Sunday, sitting in church. God, I don't understand it all. I don't understand everything that you do or the ways that you work. But this morning, I humbly confess that I know I need you. So I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin.
I'm asking you to be my Savior. I'm telling you that I believe in you. I don't understand it all, but I believe that Jesus, as God's Son, you gave your life for me. And I believe that even though they put you in a barred tomb, that I believe on the third day you walked out alive, and I believe you're alive. I need, I need that resurrection power, that resurrection life inside of me right now. Tell him you love him. Just go ahead and tell him right now. You don't even know him, but you're beginning to know him. But just go ahead and tell him you love him. Father, thank you for the power of your word. Thank you, Lord, that, uh, Lord, you allow me to do what I do. It's more than a call, Lord. It's, I mean, it's a purpose. It's what drives me every day. And, Lord, thank you that I know it's not about how good I am. It's about how good you are. It's not about my talent or my ability. It's all about you. And Lord, for the lives that will be changed today, we'll give you the honor and the glory and the praise for it all. It's in your sweet name we pray. Amen.